Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, I am super excited about our guest. We have the beautiful Dr. Jenny Brockus. Dr. Jenny Brockus is a keynote speaker, trainer, mentor, and coach. She's passionate about people performance and practical solutions that improve our cognitive health and well-being. She says our brain power is our competitive advantage in the modern workplace. Being able to consistently think clearly, show sound judgment and have mental flexibility, agility and innovation are essential to staying match fit and at the top of our game. Yet, how often do you feel stressed, under pressure, unable to think straight, feeling groggy in the morning or tired at night? What if you could wake up every day feeling confident, focused and ready to hit the ground running and staying running? As a board certified lifestyle medicine medicine physician and trained medical practitioner, she helps you understand why you think and act the way that you do and then implement science-backed behavior change to turn around some of those biggest performance issues in organizations today. When your brain and body are doing your best work, you increase your ability to work with other people, think critically and deliver innovative results, which leads to happy and healthy workplaces, not to mention lifestyle. Dr. Jenny has just published her fourth book, Thriving Mind, How to Cultivate a Good Life. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Today, I am super excited about our guest. We have Dr. Jenny Brockus. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much, Catherine. The reason I was saying I'm excited, uh, Jenny and I go back way, way, way back. We were actually trying to work out when uh, and how long ago it was, and I think it was probably about nine or ten years ago. So really excited to have Jenny on the show. So Jenny, the way that we love to start the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to Mm -hmm. share her unique story. So Jenny, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today? (laughs) Oh, it goes back a long way. Uh, It goes back to when I was a small girl. And my favourite bedtime story was the Rudyard Kipling, How the Elephant Got His Trunk, which is all about the elephant's insatiable curiosity, which got him into a lot of trouble. 
And that was very true for me as well. I was insatiably curious as a kid. I always wanted to know and understand why things were the way they were. And as I grew up, I became increasingly fascinated by the human body, which led me into a career based in medicine, which I absolutely loved. And I'm still as curious as ever because um, over the last few years, obviously, we've got more brain science available to us. We're getting much greater depth of understanding about how the science and how the psychology actually melds together. So it's, it's I think we're, it's in a fabulous time um, for us all at the moment. But I think what prompted me to do what I do today, which is I work as a, as a speaker and a trainer and I write quite a lot of articles and, and a few books, is that uh, when I was working as a GP, I set up the practice of my dreams. I worked really hard to get it the way I wanted to do. I employed the most wonderful staff. I had brilliant uh, medical um, GPs who worked alongside with me. Um, but I, I didn't know it or didn't realize it at the time. I'm a workaholic <laughs> and um, didn't know when to let go, basically. I was married. I had two very young children at the time. And I just gave everything I had to to my work. Work actually came first in front of everything else, which I, I'm a bit ashamed to say because, you know, your children and your husband matter too. Um, and the consequence of that was I fell in a big black hole of burnout, um, which was most unpleasant. And it took me over a year to recover from. I, I called it my gap year. <laughs> uh, basically where I stepped away I lost I lost the business I lost my practice uh, but I it it made me it forced me to stop and reflect what are you doing what's actually important to you you know all this this drive to overwork to overachieve this relentless push 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 it I suddenly thought it's done me harm and it's not only done me harm, it's impacted those that I love the most. I mean, this is ridiculous. So in my gap year, I spent time exploring the world. I spent time learning to go outside and just be at one and at peace with nature, something I'd never given myself permission to do before. I started to do things like exercise regularly. I started to meditate on a daily basis all these things that I've been telling everybody else to do and hadn't done myself. And the consequence of that was it, it changed my life. And I realized that, A, I couldn't go back to being in general practice anymore because I realized that all the people I'd been seeing who were coming in to see me because they were stressed out, um, experiencing anxiety, experiencing depression, experiencing difficulty, particularly at work with toxic relationships and all that stuff um, could be addressed in a far more effective way. But I couldn't and I couldn't do it on a one to one basis. I, I was diving deeply into the findings of the neuroscience and the positive psychology. And I thought, no, we have got to go back to the basics. And again, I didn't realize at the time, but I started applying what is now known as lifestyle medicine. It's now a real thing. You can become 
uh, accredited as a lifestyle medicine physician. And there are many around, not just Australia, but around the world where, and it's not just doctors, many sort of allied health practitioners who are coming from this place of understanding that to be happy and healthy, we need to go back to the basics. We need to understand what it is that actually works best for us as human beings and to apply that in our lives and to ensure that we stick to what we know works best for us because it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think, um, so the book came around by me addressing the fact that anybody can can be subjected to something like a mood disorder, depression, anxiety, or, or actual burnout, which was, was my case. And I went for the, 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 the triple whammy. I mean, I never do anything by halves. So I... I reached the peak of burnout where I physically could not get out of bed and I didn't have the energy to get dressed and it was it would take me you know a couple of hours to get up and then move to a room and just sit um but it also was associated with with depression uh, I was quite depressed for a long time saw a most wonderful psychologist who was really helpful and helped me to reshape uh, my mindset and enable me to sort of learn to see things differently. Um, and I also had anxiety and panic. So just to finish it all off, <laughs> had the works. Uh, so it's it's that experience, I think, which which made me more determined than ever to sort of say, well, what can I do to share in sharing my story, help prevent other people from falling into that hole because it's really not helpful to anybody and it's and it's so damaging to people as a whole. So when I started penning the book, I really wanted to address what it takes to be a happy, thriving human. And so looking at what we know hasn't always been working very well for us. And I wrote the book pre-COVID. Um, but the messages within the book, I think, are even more relevant now because the, the difficulties I think that many of us were experiencing have just been amplified over the last few months, as you know, we've, we've had to sort of adapt so quickly to all these restrictions and lockdown and, and stuff like that. So the book addresses first the, the need to feel happier with our life. And it's not about chasing happiness. It's about creating happiness and to look at the facets that actually contribute to that. And I, I firmly believe you can't experience true happiness unless you know what it's like to experience all our emotions and that we should be able to acknowledge when we're feeling sad or bad or angry or frustrated or whatever and just to know that that's the feeling that we're experiencing in that moment and that all feelings are temporary um, but we can use them to to react most appropriately to a given situation I mean it's, it's, I find it interesting where we say, we've got to be happy and we've got to be happy all the time. Well, no, we don't have to be happy all the time. But it's good to know how to feel happier generally and then to know when it's appropriate to feel differently. Say if you're, 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 one of your friends has shared with you that she's lost her job or they're experiencing a relationship breakdown or something like that so that you can relate and connect at that deeper level. So I talk a lot about the need for purpose and meaning, talk about mindset and how we can develop a thriver's mindset. Uh, a lot of the research talks about 
uh, we we tend to orientate ourselves to be either fixed or growth oriented in our mindset, depending on circumstances and what we're doing. But to take that further, it's about recognizing what we have as our own skill set, the potential we have within us to see things in in a way that makes difficulties solvable and we find solutions, but also is going to help others. We're contributing to the greater well-being of others in the process. So that's what I call a thriver's mindset, where it's not just about, oh, we're sorting ourselves out, but it's it's broadening that to include others in the in the same process. And I also talk about the need to laugh and play. Um, you know, kids are just running around chasing each other, squealing and having fun. And sometimes as grown-ups, we don't give ourselves permission just to relax a little bit and just just play. Just just Know, go for broke and do something a bit silly um, and if we are out of practice that can feel hard I don't know about you Catherine but uh, sometimes uh, I was asked recently what I did for fun and what shocked me was that I couldn't come up with anything straight away I had to really think about what do I do for fun so I thought well this is no good so I've actually signed up to do swing classes and uh, that's awesome yeah, it, and uh, it is great fun, but um, and we're we're so fortunate because I'm I'm in Perth and WA, so we're actually allowed to be out and we're allowed to do things, you know, still social distancing, but and with dancing, you, as long as you're with your your partner, that that's absolutely fine. Um, my husband wasn't so thrilled with the idea, I have to say, <clears throat> but even he's now <clears throat> enjoying it, so uh, it's good, and I think. You know, as soon as you're doing something that gives you pleasure and uh, it lifts your mood, puts you in a better place. And when you've got a smile on your face, it's infectious and it starts spreading out to impact others. So I think that's that's something we can do to help ourselves. So I think understanding what what leads to create greater happiness is really important. And I include a recipe in the book. I've called it the best super moist happiness cake. So do you want to know what the ingredients are? I would love to. Okay. So you need two cups of purpose and meaning, one heaped tablespoon of gratitude, two, uh, sorry, six teaspoons of generosity and helping others, a cloudburst of mindfulness, a sprinkle of laughter and play, and one sprig of mindset to garnish. Once mixed well, your happiness cake can be eaten hot or cold, but is best created and consumed regularly. So that's basically happiness in a nutshell. I love it. Absolutely (laughs) love it. So there's a couple of things that you uh, talked about. So first of all, I wanted to say that uh, thank you for sharing and I love the gap year. I had one of those gap years Mm. and uh, experienced what you experienced. But I think that... You know, I always call, I mean, only because I I study astrology and when we talk about Chiron, that's the wounded healer. It's only once we've experienced these kind of, um, whatever you want to call those, but gap years, only then I think that from, you know, listening to you, listening to what you've created from that gap year and other people that I've spoken to, it's it's kind of been that pivot point or that that radical shift in your life that has transformed your life because you've gone down to that that whole um the wounded soul 
absolutely. Mm. And and I and I wish that I hadn't had to go through that painful experience in order to achieve that. But I'm also immensely grateful that I did because it's made me a better person as a result. Mm. And and I sort of look back to how things were before and I I I know that if if I hadn't experienced burnout, I would be still doing what I was doing then. Yes. And going through life, um, not actually really living a full life. Mm. I'll be doing lots of good work. I'll be helping lots of people, but it wouldn't be good for me and it certainly wouldn't be good for my family. Yeah. And the other thing I, I really loved, uh, you talked about chasing versus creating happiness. I cannot tell you how often I see people seeking external of themselves for love, for happiness, for uh, freedom, whatever that is, when really mm. you what you seek, you you find it within. So talk Absolutely. us through how do we? Because I know this is one of those things. I, I always say, stay in your center, Catherine. I've got that sticky note sitting on my my uh, computer. And you know, when I feel that I'm out of my center, um, mm. I know that I'm seeking external for what really resides within me. So talk us through that piece a bit. Um, what what you, what the I creating, do? To, yeah, the creating happiness. So, what do you do to create happiness rather than chase it? For me, it's those little things that uh, give me greater connection to my husband and and my kids. So, it's the time that I spend in their company, just listening, share, joining in the conversation, sharing a laugh, having a joke. Um, and also, for me, it's it's very much about connecting with with nature. I've I've come to appreciate that that is probably one of the most important things for me. Be the ability to see uh, a green outlook, to experience being out in sunshine, to feel the wind uh, in my hair, all those sort of things. Um, that just gives me this enormous internal boost. And and the gratitude piece, um, being grateful for what what I have, appreciating things, that that gives me that little warm glow inside. Uh, I used to keep a gratitude journal for years, and um, I stopped doing the physical writing a little while ago. Don't know why, I just fell out of the habit. Like we do sometimes, but I still go through that mental process of every night just thinking what what went really well today what what was lovely what can I show appreciation for and that that's been shown to to shift our psychology and it, and it keeps you in that that positive space and as soon as you do something like that or you do something to help somebody else it, it gives you that that feeling of yeah life's good and you are you are more grounded you are more centered and I think the more outward focused we become, um, that makes the biggest difference too. And I think, you know, the fastest way to create more happiness for ourselves and to feel less stressed out is actually to stop thinking about all those things that are worrying us or upsetting us and to look out and see what's going on for the neighbor, um, a friend, and just do something with them for them because that's going to be a win-win. It makes them feel better and it makes you feel better too. 
so true. And I, I'm the same. I love um, uh, being grateful and focusing and appreciating what I have rather than what I should have or would like to have. It makes a big difference in my state of yes. mind without a doubt. You also mentioned about growth mindset, growth versus fixed mindset, which I know um, we oscillate between the two. But for our listeners, uh, would yes. you like to maybe just sort of higher level talk about the difference between the growth and the fixed mindset? Okay. So if somebody comes from a fixed mindset, it basically means that you tend to have more of a black and white perspective of the world. It's either right or it's wrong. It's black or it's white. Um, You're either smart or you're dumb. And it's been shown that the way that parents talk to their small children actually determines whether their child will have more of a fixed or growth-oriented mindset, which is a bit of a bit, bit concerning because I'm like, what did I say to my kids? <laughs> um, but when when somebody is, for the example that Carol Dweck, who's done most of the research in this space, talks about and what she found in working with small children was those kids who were always being praised for being clever, for being the smartest in the class, for being brilliant, um, then see themselves as as being at that level and therefore you mustn't be shown up to be anything different and they actually stop trying they they don't want to be shown up as anything less than brilliant which actually stops them in their tracks whereas a child who's growth oriented is praised for the effort they've put into making something it may not be perfect but that doesn't matter because they've just contributed something and they've put their heart and soul into it and they grow up feeling that um, success comes from the effort we put into something and that we can learn from our mistakes. Somebody with a fixed mindset finds failure absolutely terrible, something to be avoided at all costs, whereas somebody with a growth-oriented mindset says, well, okay, it wasn't the best. Um, what could I be doing differently to get a better better result next time? So that that's the, the main difference. And we're not one or the other. We, we all have those things buried deep down somewhere that we're a little bit more fixed in our attitude towards. And the main thing is just to be aware of that. I don't think it's necessarily right or wrong. Uh, it's really just knowing that if you hear yourself saying certain things, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Oh, no, that's much too hard. I'm not clever enough. Oh, I know I won't apply for that job because um, I've got no chance of doing it. That sort of self-talk is very much coming from the fixed mindset. It's not possible, therefore I won't bother. Whereas somebody with a growth mindset goes, wow, um, this looks amazing. I'm going to put my throw my hat into the ring and give it a go because, you know, somebody's going to get it. So it's, that's, the, that's the main difference between the two. And it means that people who are more growth-oriented are much more likely to be willing to give things a try, whether they succeed or not. And that promotes personal and professional growth it means that um, they're more willing to contribute collaborate and they're often more effective and I think probably overall happier as a result too Mm, and I agree I do I do that's why I was saying we do oscillate between the two and it depends on on the environment as well I think the environment (laughs) plays a big part whether it's at work whether it's at home with amongst friends we do oscillate between the two so you were talking about a thriving mindset which is expanding beyond that so how does one achieve a thriving mindset um well I think you, you need to be sort of aware of 
your own mindset to start off with and and how you approach life and if if you're somebody who is naturally giving and and open to new ideas that's the perfect place to start but the the best example is in times like this when we've got adversity when we've got a massive challenge in front of us um or the you know, like the bushfires that we experienced at the beginning of the year where you know we saw horrific things happening and for many people who were impacted by the bushfires you could see the different mindsets at work which is what i observed you know watching the the news and things there were there were the victims who were you know stuck in grief and loss and couldn't see a way forward there were the survivors who were full of great gratitude for being alive you know they might have lost everything but they were so appreciative of the help they had received and then there were the thrivers who not only acknowledged their gratitude for you know surviving even though they'd lost everything was actively seeking to contribute to the rebuild of the community at large. So that's the difference. A thriver is somebody who's not concerned just about themselves. They're concerned about their, their fellow um, community members. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, so you always, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really about it's going beyond the self. It's about yes. the we, yes. moving away the from we. the I yes. into the we. Yes, mm, yeah. I love that. I love that. So when we got on, oh, before we got onto the show, you were talking about the book Thriving Mind, which is your latest book, How to Cultivate a Good Life. Would you like to share with us some of those uh, uh, some of those topics that we spoke about at the start of the show? Mm, okay. So the way the, the book is devised, it, it covers um, three sections. So the first section is about what we can be doing to create greater happiness in our life. The second section is what asking the question, what do we mean by thriving? Because different people will have different sort of interpretations of that. What, what, what do you need in order to feel that you are fully thriving? Is it um, having the energy to sort of bounce around your day? Is it having the capacity to, go and listen to a concert of your favorite music? Is it going out and doing something with friends? It's it's about all the facets of our life. I mean, it, it also includes the lifestyle choices that we make. And to remember that, you know, fundamentally we have physiological and psychological needs that we, we do function better when we address these. So sleep is one of my big things. I, I love my sleep and um, I've come to appreciate it as I've got older um, because they, they, they reckon that about a third of the population, adult population is chronically sleep deprived. And, and the problem with that is, is, is massive because sleep deprivation affects every single system in our body. It affects our mood. It affects our health. It affects um, you know, how our immune system works and all these other things. Plus, um, I mean, I've, I've lived with sleep deprivation when my kids were smaller. I know that I'm a bit grouchy and a bit grumpy and a bit irritable. I'm not very nice when I'm, when I'm tired. 
Um, and also you can't think straight. You're not as alert. You make more mistakes. And um, it's terrifying to think that, you know, quite a large proportion of accidents that, are, that occur happen because people were just driving tired. I mean, we were always talking about, you know, you mustn't drive when you've had alcohol or anything else in your system. But we forget that being being overtired and I'm talking about if you've been awake for maybe 16, 17 hours, the impact on your ability to react quickly is the same as if you had a blood alcohol of um, 0.05. So sleep is really important. Um, and and being in nature is really important for our mental well-being. I'm, I'm actually very concerned about our, the, the state of our mental health um, because of the impact of the pandemic. We were struggling before with high levels of anxiety and depression in, in our society. And I think now with the increasing sense of isolation for some people, um, being required to stay at home, maybe not having the best relationships around you, um, we know already that the demand for um, help from psychologists is, is increasing quite rapidly. And I don't, and our system won't be able to cope. I and mean, we've talked about, you know, we've got to make sure that we flatten the curve so that we've got access to the, the healthcare required if somebody comes down with COVID-19. But what we haven't done is addressed the, the, the need to provide adequate access to psychological interventions for those people who are struggling mentally. And so looking for ways to enhance and maintain our mental well-being is, is going to be absolutely critical moving forward from here. And this is where the lifestyle factors really come into play. The, the foods we choose to eat, um, it's, it's, I love the, the, the research that's come out because it's so obvious that, you know, while we know that eating crap is bad for us, we now know that eating crap and processed food and a lot of sugar is actually making us sick because the sugar in particular, when it's consumed to excess, and of course sugar is added to so much of our food today, actually makes us feel low in mood. And research that came out of Deakin University a couple of years ago, Professor Felice Jacker from the Mood and Food Institute, she, she was the first one globally to run a study looking at the impact of our diet on, on depression. She took a group of people with moderate to severe depression who were already receiving assistance with counselling or medication or both. And the one variable that was introduced was a change in their diet. She put them on what was called a modified Mediterranean style of diet, which basically was plant-based um, Lots of leafy greens, lots of fruit and veg, um, some olive oil, some low-fat dairy, um, some seeds and nuts, and, and plenty of water. Basically, cutting out all the processed foods, and within 12 weeks, there was a significant improvement in the people's um, state of mind. Some people were able to reduce their medication. Some people were deemed no longer to have depression. Uh, and the one variable that had changed was their diet. And that's that's the impact that our diet can have on us. So if we and I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing here because guilty as charged, you know, during the pandemic, when when we're feeling a bit stressed, we tend to reach out and have a bit more snack foods. <laughs> I don't know if that's true for you. Or alcohol. 
or alcohol. Yes. yes. Red wine has become my very best friend at the moment. Yes. No, and then if you're working at the kitchen table, because that's your new office and the and the fridge is an arm's length from you, it's sometimes a bit tempting to sort of, oh, I wonder what's in there. Um, we get, yes, I won't go there. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Of course. So we need to be mindful that, you know, our choice of food does actually make a big difference to how we feel. And it's the same with physical activity. We've always been told to find 30, go and exercise, do this, do that. And, well, that's great if you love exercise. If, if you're somebody who thinks that exercise is hard work, makes you hot and sweaty, and the thought of wearing lycra brings you out in a rash, it's, it's harder to find the motivation to do it. However, we, we do know that being physically active, and what I'm talking about here is just choosing not to sit on our bottoms all day, actually makes a big difference to our mental well-being. And if we can get used to doing a daily walk for 20 to 30 minutes, that in itself is going to elevate your mood and help you to release those feel-good hormones, the dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins that make us feel better. And uh, it, uh, you may have noticed it yourself, but I know that if I'm in a bit of a funk and think, oh, been a bit of one of those bad hair days if I just get out and go for a quick walk around the block or go down to the park or something it instantly revs me up a bit makes me feel re-energized but also makes me feel better in myself mentally so that's important and of course the nature piece they've now done the research to show that we have a minimum threshold of exposure required for our mental well-being and that's two hours a week so if we can be exposed to a green space or a blue space so depending on where you live a bit hard if you're in the middle of the desert of course um but green space where you've got trees shrubs something like that or even you know small pot plants on a balcony or internal plants in your, in your house uh, or if you live near a river like or the sea being exposed to that environment is really important for us and um the, the, the Dutch um, love walking in nature. And I don't know if you've ever been to um, the Netherlands or that part of the world. No, it's on my, it's, on my bucket list. Yes. One day, when we're allowed to travel again, yes. we can go to the Netherlands and go for what they call an Uteweel, uh, which is a windy walk. And it's that descriptor, and it's a great word, isn't it? Uteweel. I love it. <laughs> Where you go for a walk along a cliff, tour walk, clifftop or the beach or somewhere else where the wind's whipping up and it blows all the cobwebs out of your head but it actually makes you feel good as well so going for a windy walk is, we, is good for us <laughs> we have a saying in france um that we do the same thing go for, when you go for a walk you allow the wind to clean your thoughts away oh yeah wow. so we have a similar similar saying do, yes yeah. But is, is, there, is there a word for it that you have in French? Um, no, it's just as simple as, you know, letting the wind remove the thoughts out of your head. That's it. Ah. No, there's not, there's not a special saying. But, um, but as you were talking, when you talk, it really is a holistic approach. And I remember some time ago we had a lady on the show who changed her diet and got rid of her uh, MS, which was pretty amazing. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I did go on. Did you, did you want to say something? Oh, I was, I was going to say that we're now looking at, because we're starting to understand much more about the microbiome, all the trillions of bacteria and viruses and everything else that lives in our guts, how it impacts disease. And we are now more than capable of reversing disease, just as you, you've shared here. 
so you can impact uh, if we know that we can, you know, if it's caught early enough, you can reverse type two diabetes. And then we know there's an awful lot of that about. Yes. We know that we can reverse heart disease. We know we can make significant differences to lowering people's blood pressure and, and you know, help to prevent the onset of neuro what they call neurodegenerative disease, things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. You know, diet is, is, is so important in, in our health and well-being. That, and I think moving forward, we're going to learn so much more about what we can be doing to help keep ourselves healthy. And I think there'll be a big swing, I hope. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Yeah. That's, well, that's, you that's, see it more yeah. and more. And I think, you know, I was just all I was going to say is um, before was, you know, even if you've got a sweet tooth like me, um, mm. I go for the 90% chocolate, the dark chocolate, yes. and it took me ages yes. to get onto that. But I used to have <laughs> sugar every day and I've seen a few documentaries, just like you were saying, and what yes. it does to the brain. But it doesn't mean that, you know, now I might have a little bit of honey in my coffee for if I feel like a sweet co- uh, coffee or yes. dark chocolate. So it's not because I know for me it was really hard to come off sugar. It was like coming off crack and I don't even know what that's like but um, I'd hate to think but for me it was like that going off sugar and it's it's one of those things that um, I, all I did what I what I did to simplify it was to replace it with something that was going to be better for me yes, yes. what are your thoughts around that yeah oh absolutely I mean life's too short to deprive ourselves of things that we absolutely love mm. and um I think it's 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 about moderation in all things. It's it's about having the understanding that, you know, we if we make the healthier choices overall, but there are occasions where, you know, we're celebrating something or we feel like, oh, I actually really would love to have that piece of chocolate cake or whatever, to have it, eat it, and really enjoy it mm-hmm. rather than feeling guilty. Yeah. Oh, I should be having that and make it into something that is bad because that's not true. Mm-hmm. And and like you say, with the with the chocolate, if you go for that really high cocoa content, and it does take time to uh, recalibrate your taste buds <laughs> to to appreciate it. But once you've done that, uh, you may have found yourself that you're actually satisfied with with less rather than eating the whole family block of fruit and nut. Um, <laughs> which is, uh, is is so sweet now like if I have normal now, chocolate yeah, oh, right. I feel like I'm having a cup of sugar yeah that's right and so we, we can retrain ourselves uh, or retrain our taste buds by exposing ourselves little by little to those other foods that we want to sort of shift towards um, and just give ourselves permission to do so that's all rather than going oh yuck yeah, I hate Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you can you can even train yourself to love um, you know those foods that you would normally avoid. Oh no, don't do that. Although I have to say I, I do struggle with oysters. I'm not I'm not an oyster lover, but it's okay. I don't have to enjoy oysters. No, that's okay. Yeah. So Jenny, as we start to wrap up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? My personal brand. Whoa. Uh, am I allowed to have a non-word? You can have a non-word. Okay. My non-word is thrival. Oh, I like that. Thrival. I, I want to bring about a, a revival of thrival because <laughs> we we always talk about, you know, are you in surviving mode or are you a survivor? Uh and we 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 are allowed to speak about thriving or um, Throven, 
thriven. But in, I say, if we're, we're talking about moving from survival, we need to move from survival to thrival. But, but thrival isn't actually a recognised word, but I think it's time it was. Yeah, I think it could be your own word um, for everybody's <laughs> vocabulary. And the other last question we always love to ask our woman of inspiration is to share three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So, Jenny, what would be those three practical exercises that you would like to leave for our audience today? My first golden nugget would be uh, to for self-acceptance. Be, be grateful for who you are as a unique human being with all your jiggly bits and imperfections and flaws. My second would be to nurture your relationships. The one thing that makes us happier, healthier and to live longer is to celebrate having a really close relationship with the person who means the most. And the third thing is to always be looking for the opportunity to do something for somebody else. Oh, I love all three. They're so beautiful. So, Jenny, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Okay. Um, well, I've got a website, drjennybrockers.com. And um, if they're interested in buying the book, they can buy it through the website. Or uh, if they've got access to a bookshop, depending on where they are, um, that it's in stock in all the retailers and it's online through Booktopia and Amazon and the other online retailers too. Thank you. We'll have that in the show notes. Jenny, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been awesome to reconnect and um, I'm sure our listeners are going to reach out. Once again, thank you so much for your time and your energy. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. Or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you, so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift, where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at katherineplano. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.